What happens when water is exposed to EMF or wireless radiation? Here's something you may not know. Water is conscious and it responds vibrationally to whatever it is exposed to. At Omnia we've done an experiment where we froze and photographed three samples of water. Water which was not exposed to EMF radiation, the baseline, looked like this. Water which was exposed to an EMF field, a 5G radiation field in fact, looked like this. And water which was exposed to EMF that is balanced by the Omnia radiation balancer looked like this. See the difference? Remember, your body is 70% water. And here's a special offer for the Journey to Truth crowd. Just enter the word TRUTH in caps at the checkout for your 10% discount. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Just a reminder, Aaron and I will be in Aztec, New Mexico next weekend. Or this weekend, this weekend, up, this coming up weekend for the Sunfire Fest. Uh, the link is below. If you're still interested in coming, there are tickets available. You can get a weekend pass, a day pass. If you're in driving distance, I recommend coming and hanging out. And at our Experiencer Lounge, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, all the information is below in the description, sunfirefest.com. We hope to see you there. Without wasting any time, tonight we are joined by, once again, by Jackie Kenner. She... Uh, came on the show, uh, uh, what, a year or two ago? A couple years ago. And then yeah, she two spoke, years. Two years ago. Two years. And then she spoke at our conference, which was one of my favorite talks. She has an incredible testimony regarding um, what she calls experimental programs. It could technically be a secret space type of program, but the SSP is so much of a blanket term. There's so much more involved than, than just space programs when people are being abducted. Uh, a lot of times it's not, they're not taking a space. Sometimes it might be here on earth or who knows, but um, she has an incredible testimony. And if, if you haven't heard it, I highly recommend going back and listening to her story. But she also co-wrote, she ghost wrote the first book series, uh, Colony Cavalier, oh. uh, Tony Rodriguez's book. And then she co-wrote the second book with him, Project Star Maker. And we're going to be getting into some of that content and some other stuff. Right. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, and you have some other recent experiences that I know you're interested in sharing with us. Uh, you were telling me about on the phone the other day. So let's just have some fun with it. And welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. I was just telling you guys, I, I shouldn't describe it as this, but I feel like I'm coming out of a dark cave called parenthood. We're approaching one year next week. Little Moss will be one year so. Wow. I yeah. have no idea what's going on in the community, by the way. <laughs> Don't ask me anything. I can imagine. <laughs> That's good though. That's good because your yeah. perspective is fresh, you know. And and yeah, you were pregnant at our conference. Yeah. yeah. You spoke. I yeah. I mean, you were pretty far along too. Yeah, I was. And, and uh you still knocked it out of the park. So thank you thank and you. congrats. And uh, congrats on being a mother, and we're happy for thank you. you. Um, so there's a lot, just the little parts in the book. There's so many questions I have as far as that goes. But before we get into that, um, your what have you been uncovering? Are, are there any new developments in, in your story? I know you said you went on a little road trip recently and you had some yeah. revelations. Do you want to share that with us? Definitely. Um, so we, my husband and I sort of agreed after a while of me researching. And I have to say one thing, by the way, because last interview, two years ago, I read the comments and people were like, why is she blinking so much? I am <laughs> blinking because 
this ring light is harsh as hell on your eyes. And so I have contacts. That's the only reason I'm not like a MK ultra clump. I want everyone to know that. (laughs) Now everyone's going to be looking at your eyes blinking. Probably, but now you know why it's really hard to like, it's like right behind the camera. So ring lights are tough. They're bright. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot. So my husband and I agreed after a while that I I was going to um, stop really digging for more information or going into deep meditations or just trying to remember more about my experience because ultimately what I came to realize was I accept it as truth. I don't have a shadow of a doubt that I was taken for experimental programs. And then it's like, okay, but what matters about that? Two things. One, we're being lied to about what's going on on earth and off earth. And two, I must have been put through extensive psychic training because I have memories of it and I seem to have aftermath uh, abilities from it. So I became more interested in how do I utilize that to do something useful on earth while I'm here in this life, in this body, because ultimately digging into those memories and experiences, it doesn't feel good. You don't feel good. It, it kind of messes you, messes me up. Um, nobody wants to listen to it unless you're on this podcast, by the way, like nobody in my day-to-day life is, wants to hear these. I can't even get three seconds in before people's eyes glaze over. So we agreed put it to rest, focus on my abilities and how I can put them to good. However, I still have these compulsions to research things. So when I realized that the name of the company that I remember is about three miles from where I went to summer school, and this is a company whose name I saw on paperwork and folders. And when I was asked questions, it would be up in the top left corner of the sheets that they were reading the questions from. Um, So it was about three miles from my summer school, which is about two hours from where I live now. And one day, three weeks ago, I was like, I got to go. I have to go drive by this address that's listed for this company. Even though I made an agreement to stop, I just, I had to go. So I drove out there two hours. Um, As I got closer and closer, I started having like a physical reaction of like immense fear. Like I couldn't feel my legs. You know, you how your face goes a little numb where you just like, it's like you need to sit down which was interesting for me. Um, So I get there. It's a house on a lot of land. There's a detached garage. And then behind the house is this finished shed. I wouldn't call it a shed. It looks like another small garage. It's like bricked, roof, everything completely finished. Mm -hmm. But they had left the door open. And inside was a cement floor and then a pipe probably like this big around solid black that went from the floor up to the roof. And that was the only thing inside of this shed. And it's kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, but then you think about it and you're like, what the, what were, what were they venting up? Like what's, what's below there? What, why is there a pipe? And that's it. And it's completely, you know, encased in this um, structure. So. I got to jump back to about a month before 
Tony Rodriguez has a remote viewing group where people practice in the group. And the way that that works is you write the coordinates of something on a piece of paper, you put it in an envelope, you seal the envelope. The person conducting the experiment, which is Tony, says to the remote viewing group, this is your target. And they only see the envelope. They don't see anything else, just the envelope. He had given him the coordinates to a park right by my house. And he emailed me after and sent me the photos and it was shockingly accurate. And if anyone's ever interested, I can send you videos and what the remote viewers saw, but it was like a black wall here, a stadium with fans because there's like a rugby soccer field. And then this woman said dark air, which was the part of the park that was shaded by trees. It was like so accurate. So I asked Tony, would you please give them the coordinates of this house, this shed in particular, and have your group remote view it? So he emails me back after they do it. And three people saw underwater or underground rail system, but also interestingly, a water channel to the ocean. That was from two people in the group. It was, they said there's like a waste system to the ocean, humans in bars or cages. It was a drawn image. So it looked like a cage or like barred in a lot of pain and suffering. Wow. So a normal person would be like, well, whatever, but you, you can't contrast the, they did the park and it was exactly accurate. And then they did this location and that's just kind of weird. It's like, well, what if that's exactly accurate too? What is going on there? Right. And uh, so that's the latest thing that, which would, you know, it would make sense that there's some kind of vent system from underground out, but I don't know what was going on there, but that's what I have uncovered recently. Yeah, I think that's, so that stack was coming like through the concrete floor. Yeah. So it was coming and there's, There's no basement in the garage, typically, you know. So people in Texas don't really have basements because our water tables are so high that our foundations shift all the time. And so basements are uncommon, in fact, very rare in the Dallas area, except there was a church a block away from us that when they knocked it down, there was like a like 6,000 square foot basement in the church, which is super fucking weird too. But oh, I don't want to go into that. I don't know. It's just. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen the movie like End of Days or there's a bunch of movies that depict like the basement of churches, like a church? I don't know. It's, if, it's not what we think it is. Yeah, I will agree with that. Um, so they're very rare in this area. Almost no one does them because the walls split and it'll crumble. Like the foundations can't handle basements. So it it is very odd. And and I at first I was like, oh, it's probably like a smoker, like a barbecue smoker vent. But then I was like, why would it run into the cement ground? You know, like your own mind plays tricks on you to try and explain it and justify it and even yeah, like you- just calm down. This is nothing, but it's something. We start gaslighting ourselves. We're like, no, Correct. that just happened. Uh, yeah. So, okay, this takes me to chapter eight in the book, where you you start the chapter 
if this were really happening, we would know about it. More people would talk about it. And this is something you hear a lot of people say, and this is their cognitive dissonance, I guess. Like, if this were true, we would know about it. And it, this kind of infuriates you. And you go on to explain why, but I'm going to let you take it over from there because your explanation was beautiful. And I, I'll just let you take it from there because I'd love to hear what you have to say and why why this makes you so angry. Well, essentially, because it's true, you don't hear about it. That That's the main point. That's what I get to. And the tr- the truth we have to kind of dig around for now. And what it, what people want us to believe is really easy to find. What I didn't include in the book that most, I know you guys know, and most of this community knows is who owns your media right? and what's their agenda. And because there is an agenda and there is a story and a narrative and our media is owned, we get to know what they decide we should think. And in my experience, by the way, when people are like, oh, well, can you prove that? How do you know? And you start to explain it. I do not know what happens, but it's like eyes glaze over. Like you can't even get 10 sentences in Mm -hmm. before somebody is lost. Right. So I don't even know if people want to know the truth. A lot of people don't. Yeah. It's just so scary and outside of their paradigm. They just can't handle it. And they, what we just said earlier, um, they will convince themselves this must be BS or just you're hallucinating or it's dreams or whatever explanation that makes them feel comfortable. So they don't have to believe it. They don't have to even consider that it could be real or look into it at all because it's too scary for a lot of people. Yeah. And ultimately, what would it mean for them? That's right. where people get hung up. If this is true, what does this mean for me? Well, it means a, an entire lifestyle change mm-hmm. and and letting go of a lot of things that you've attached yourself to. And that's people aren't ready for that. And it means the world is yeah. not what they thought it was. Yeah. And we're living in some kind of like a Truman Show reality where everything is controlled and there's all these lies that are fed to us. And then there's all these true things happening that they don't want us to know about. And like you just said, you have to dig for that if you're going to find it. It's not just going to be presented to you. <laughs> like, right. that's not there, how they There work. are people trying to present it. There are people trying, yeah. but they're being attacked and, you know, they're, they're being censored. And yeah, um, but you right. have to want the truth. It really comes down to that. You have to want the truth. And so many people don't actually want truth. They just want comfort. They want safety. You know, well, so think that's like about- a fear-based reality, you know. Think about your worst breakup ever, where you're like, wow, I thought I knew this person and I didn't, you know, and how hard it is to come to terms with that and grieve that and get over that, mm-hmm. where you're like, I, how did I miss this? I, you know, I, I thought it was love, whatever, but it takes a long time and it fucks you up. Amplify that times 10,000. 10,000 people have been lying to you and telling you it's one way or this is how it is. And it's not. And think about like the yeah. jolt the shock to your system to try and embody that. And that's why people don't want it. It's like, you'll blow a fuse. Well, and this brings me to my next point as well. So there's some very credible people, some friends of mine, people who have reached out, people I know, 
that are genuinely concerned we're being duped because they truly believe the secret space program is all implanted memories and or virtual reality. And that's it. And they're like completely sold on it. And they think that anyone who believes in this stuff, we're, we're just all like completely being duped. So we had this conversation the other day on the phone and it, you made some really great points. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So in my presentations in Grafton, I brought this up. Like we have, first of all, I love that someone would make that point because great, let's put it on the table and discuss it and pick it apart a little bit and see where we get. We have to leave space for all possibilities. If that's anything we've learned, anything is possible. The unimaginable is possible and probable actually. So with my own memories, I'm like, is this mine? Is this a psychic connection to someone else's stuff? Is this a false um, implant from somebody who has intentions of creating false implants in people? Is this um, a bad regression where somebody subliminally brought things out of me that suited their agenda? Is it a dream that means nothing that's tied to some subconscious you know, psyche, very human stuff. It, we have to contemplate all possibilities. Ultimately, when we kick around this concept, like are these implants in people coming from someone with an agenda? At the very end of that discussion is a reality that there's a technology that can implant thoughts that make you believe things are a certain way, that this technology can do this on a large scale that it's not coming from any known place on earth that we've found or that we know about. So there are either very hidden places on earth with advanced technology, or this is coming from off planet places with advanced technology. And for me, at the end of the day, both lead to the same point. We are being lied to. There is advanced technology that's capable of shaping your entire reality, and it is either hidden on earth or it's off earth. Well, what's the point of everybody in the space programs or experimental programs? What are they saying? Right. We're being lied to. There's advanced technology. We're having experiences that are either consciousness robbing implants. I don't really care. I probably should care more than I do because they ultimately lead us back to the same truth. And if, if someone wants to make that claim, it doesn't change the narrative, in my opinion. And it is possible, sure, but why would they be doing it on such a mass scale? And why would they give so many people so much consistency? Why? Right. Why would yeah. there be so much consistency in stories? You got to use Occam's razor with yeah. it. And, yeah. And, and when you really hear out the testimonies, there's certain details and specifics in, in certain people's stories or testimonies that I don't even like to use the word story, testimony that... Um, you just can't like, if they're implanting that detailed of memories, like why, to what end, you know? And like you said, it all ultimately leads to the same truth. But I also want to bring up the fact that you and other people have talked about going through virtual reality training that was so real, mm -hmm. you couldn't decipher it. Corey Good actually talked about this. He said that the training was... Uh, it was so real, like part of the training was determining that you were in a simulation and, th and then that's how you passed that course. 
and you experience some sort of virtual reality. I'm going to take that one level further, knowing you're in a simulation, but it's so real. You can't help but act. You can't help but respond because it's so real that you your sensory system can't handle it. It's like, okay, I know I'm in. It's like when you're like, I know this is a dream and you try to calm yourself down, but you can't because you're experiencing the sensations of the dream. The, the virtual reality is that intense where you're like, okay, I know this is VR, but I'm still going to respond and react and behave in this because I can't take the sensations from it. I also, sorry, I got to go back to one thing because when people ask someone who has a testimony to prove it, think about how hard it would be if you told me about an earth-based memory that you had when you were a child and I asked you to prove it. You know, right. like you were like, well, when I was eight and I, and I went to this party and this kid said this, and then this happened, I saw this adult do this. And I said, prove it. It would be nearly impossible. And I could say the same thing. What if that's an implanted memory? Like what is the past? Yeah. I don't want to get too, you know, abstract or out there, but I think making the claim that these are implanted memories is not good enough. It's not good enough because no. the moment you say that you poke holes in all reality. Yeah. To me, yeah. it's just the people saying that want to believe that. So they've convinced themselves, oh, that just must be the case. Move along. Nothing to see. And, but they just want to believe that. That's it. There's nothing backing up what they're saying either. There's no proof of what they're saying. There's no proof of that. I right. do. I do believe that they're, they do have the ability to do that and give someone a false experience via voice of God technologies and stuff. So yeah, right. the conversation should be had, but it doesn't explain away everything. And um, so let's go back to the virtual reality. So okay. explain to us what, how that training happened for you and how you got out of it and how you knew it was a simulation because, and then how you would determine or decipher that between a real memory and the virtual reality. So that's a great question. And the ones that I know were VR is because I remember it ending and black. And then uh, it was almost like a visor, you know, coming up. It's possible that there are memories I have that are VR that I don't know they're VR because right. I don't remember the ending. So, so for example, a more vivid one is um flying in crafts or it would i wouldn't say crafts but flying let's say and knowing that you are going to crash if you don't use some life force within yourself to activate a technology to keep yourself from crashing into the ground and this activation of this life force was the challenge. Like, could you, it's almost like you use your body to interact, to, to activate this technology so that as you're approaching the ground, you levitate more or less. But it wasn't just you. It was, you had to alter your, I don't know. I, I'm explaining this the way I understand it. I don't know if this is going on, but you had to alter your DNA to activate both your body and whatever sort of craft you were in to stop before it hit the ground. And the the issue is if you didn't, you experience death 
through the virtual reality. And all of us had partners, or I had a partner, and I know there were six or seven other people because when the visor came off, we were all just sitting in chairs in like a white hangar looking building. Um, you were partnered up and you had to not only save yourself from death from crashing, but also you had to like work with your partner telepathically to get them to activate. And the one that's really vivid to me is when I was like, I was safe. I wasn't going to hit ground, but my partner wasn't capable. She wasn't able to get hers to activate. And so I actually, actually psychically activated hers for her and stopped both of us just before the ground. And then it went black, but I didn't experience death. And then, so when in this memory, my hands were tied behind my back in a chair and someone came over and lifted the visor up. And he actually said to me, you should not have done that because what, what I implied from that was that that had taken me into another level. Cause it's one thing to activate yourself. It's another thing to activate another's. And he, it was like this simultaneously, it was like super impressed, but also was like, you should not have done that. Mm-hmm. And, and, but the death process through the VR was so uncomfortable because I knew if she didn't activate, we were both going to die because we were tied together. So I don't even remember the question you asked because I got so into uh, it. It was just how to decipher the virtual reality between a normal memory. Um, well, I mean, I think you pretty much answered it already. Yeah, I, I only know when they ended. You know, yeah. if if it went to black and then you came into the material world, let's say. And then some of my memories are so far from the reality we experience on Earth. I could ask myself, is this VR or or was I actually on a planet with blue beings that had really tall elevator? You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I can speculate. Right. Well, I mean, and I'm not here, like, I'm not trying to, like, uh, call you out or anything. No, I, no, I, don't worry. I feel right. very comfortable talking about what this could be and why it's important to discuss it. So yeah. I, no, don't feel I just, I just want to bring it up because it's a gen, it's a legitimate concern and a lot of people are talking about. Uh, but then again, okay, so next question if it is virtual reality, somebody still abducted you and brought you into a program and you're in a hangar somewhere. And if that's one memory, like who's the site, like, where does that lead you? You know? Right. And, and so what does still, that mean? Yeah. It, what, it leads back to the same thing. There's ex- advanced exactly. technology right. coming from advanced right. agendas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we but, see the crafts flying around with our own eyes. Yes. Oh, there's reverse engineered tech. We know there's ETs that are here. We know, like, we, and then, oh, so you have the SSP experience, there's testimonies, and there's many of them now um, that corroborate each other. Many of them, you know, line up and many of them claim they, they were with each other in the program, saw each other, all that kind of stuff. And then you have things like William Tompkins' testimony, which corroborates it. And he's not an experiencer. He actually worked on, you know, designed the craft and all that stuff mm-hmm. and had all his information. And you have Gary McKinnon hacking the DOD server and finding the off-world fleets and officers and stuff. You have 
you know, all these things that it's like, you got to use Occam's razor at a certain point. It's like at a certain point, you can see the greater body of truth that all these things are tapping into. It's not like it's one conspiracy for all these people who are like, oh, we're all going to make up this story and lie or they're being all lied to, to like say it's a real thing when it's not, it doesn't make any sense. Well, and we not have, what that would look like. And we right? have to think about what the information war is like right now. Um, right. So of course there's going to be misinfo or disinfo agents coming out saying, claiming that it's all VR. They would love for us right. to believe. They would love for us. They to would believe. love for us to believe that because that means they get away with it. That right. means they get away with it. Um, something else you said in, or go ahead. If you want to add to that, Jackie. It looked like you were about ready to say something. So <laughs> she's considering. Well, I'm going to just, I mean, screw it. Where else can I say it? Um, right. I think we. Okay. So let's go to Stalking the Wild Pendulum by. That's a great Bob, book. Ben Todd, right. And so let's talk about the progressions of consciousness where it's mineral, plant, animal human and then the human ascension either still in our body but our consciousness ascending or what goes on beyond that and all of these vibrate at different levels and i think for some reason there is a very conscious effort to bring us back down to animal plant mineral mm -hmm. and Me the too. thing about vr and living in this virtual reality is it puts us at the level of mineral where we don't move, we don't experience, we just watch, we just observe, we don't interact. And all these cities that are being built where people will stay there forever, or this notion of this 15-minute city where everything is in this small landscape of experience. So even the push to blame it on VR to me is dangerous because it's bringing the human experience down back to the mineral level, which I think is a very conscious effort to stagnate what we're capable of. Well said. Yeah. It's well said. Yeah. same with the flat earth and the concept of like being trapped mm -hmm. under a dome that we just, it's, we're helpless. We can't escape. They want and, you to feel powerless and, and helpless. Right. right. And then that's, that's part, that's exactly why they push that. Um, you a quote from the book I love you 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 have so many great things um and the truth is powerful confronting even something we all say we want but most of us are full of shit yeah yeah and I just got chills yeah, yeah so explain <laughs> that please I mean I see this in my sessions with people a lot you know, they'll come in and, and so I'm going to take it down to a very like mundane human level, but then we'll take it a little bit further into like consciousness and awareness. So people have a session, they want to know their purpose in life. And um, the guidance that comes in is like, why don't you stop bitching out your husband? And they're like, no, 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 no. I want my purpose in life. And it's like, you're not ever going to be aware enough to connect with your purpose if every day you're dropping your vibration and ruining the energy around you by bitching out your husband because you're uncomfortable because you don't know your purpose in life. So mm -hmm. you say you want this, but in order to have this, you have to look at this. People don't want that. So that's a very like rudimentary human earth-based level. 
then if we kick it up higher a notch of like, who are you? What are you capable of? What can you connect to? What can you do with that? If you, if you get people past the overhear stuff and start bumping them into that, most people can't handle it. And so everybody says that they want ascension, that they want a, a life of awakeness and awareness, but ultimately the thing between you and that is change. And most people don't want to change, therefore they don't want the truth. And that's where that yeah. saying comes from, you're most of us are full of shit. It's just too uncomfortable. Because that or, requires them to change. Correct. To receive that, but they want to stay at this level they're at and still it doesn't work that way. Right. 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 And we, we live, like you said, we tell ourselves stories. Like you had to let go of all the stories you were telling yourself that created the identity you attached yourself to. And you have to let go of all that. That was actually, you talk about that during the part when you... um did the ayahuasca or what was the other, yeah. the, the other one that you did? Not, Wachuma. Wachuma. So that was yeah. really interesting. The dark room and the bird being, I have questions about that experience as well. I'm like chills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. So, um, well, let's talk about the dark room and then where you went after that and how you had to let go of all your beliefs about yourself and all the stories you were telling yourself. And why that was crucial to break free, basically. Yeah. And, and even also just as important as I had to experience the emotions that I had avoided. So I did. So in, in all, anything I've studied, ancient, let's just talk about like um, Greek mythology. There are notions that certain gods like um, Mente was bound to the earth as a plant and punishment for her behavior and lives in the mint plant. I think this is literal, by the way. I think that these ancient teachings, I'm just using Greek mythology as an example. I think they're there to teach us about spirits being bound to plants and these spirits being able to interact with us through things like plant medicine or even something as simple as what you eat or essential oils. But we'll cut ahead to my time in Peru where I tried ayahuasca and it didn't work for me. And the explanation that the shaman gave me is as a medium, he said, you are ayahuasca. You are living between the two realms where ayahuasca takes you and coming back. And then I tried Wachuma, which is another plant medicine that it's San Pedro where Wachuma is what they call it in Peru. And it's mescaline based and um, it really rocked my world. Yeah. And when it fully kicked in, I was leaving this realm and my body and entering through a, a very dark place super dark place where all the possible negative emotions you could experience really nasty low stuff exist there and in order for me to leave that space i one needed help from my guide that came which by the way I agreed to this, but it was a fucking blue bird. And Tony was like, don't say that. You're going to get sued. I don't give a shit. I'll see you in court. It was a fucking blue bird. You can't have my story. 
So I called it like a feathered being, I think. This blue bird took me. And, but before I could leave, I had to understand that those were not mine, that they exist, but they're not mine. And those feelings and negative entities, they're not mine to carry. And I can't carry them and ascend or leave that room. So I went with this bird. And the reasons why I thought I was there were not the reasons that came up in my experience with the bird. That was also interesting to me because it gave me this understanding that there are certain things that affect our ego. And then there are certain things that affect our spirit. And spirit's not interested in this shit. Spirit's interested in this shit. And I'm calling the the bird spirit, but it was definitely a guide that came through the Wichuma plant to help me understand lessons that my soul was working on. I forgot your question again. <laughs> well, you're, I just you you were answering it. You were explaining okay. explaining the experience of going through the dark room and then why it was important that you had to let go of all those stories you were telling yourself to break free and go into the wherever, leave that room. Yeah. So we time traveled together. And um, I know that Wachuma is supposed to be, I think they say like a grandfather energy, but for me, it it didn't have whatever. They're kind of androgynous, to be honest. But um, the, the bird took me back through, we time traveled. I re-entered periods of my life um, like in very physical reality, like I got plunked back in and and I was begging to leave. I, I was like, I don't want to be here. This is not why I'm here. And the bird was like, stay and feel it. Because every emotion that you ran from is still there and you have to feel it and you have to process it and you have to let it wash through you and go. And so my experience with that bird was re-entering these four critical periods in my life that were exceptionally painful, that had caused some kind of trauma, and actually feeling them, which, by the way, was overload. I mean, I was weeping. And and the, the interesting thing about it, which I didn't expect, is if I opened my eyes, I could pop back in my earth body. I could see the canopy around me. I could get a break. But then I would feel this tugging from this bird saying, come back, we're not done. And I would get my, you know, strength up again and I would close my eyes and I would re-enter every time through the dark room to the bird. And every time she would say, are you, re- are you ready? And so I had to consent to each healing. Um, so it's important to understand that fear, guilt, and shame are separation from our godliness they're not ours to carry. They're not meant to be carried by us. And that there are certain things that are affect our spirits that we can't run from. You have to jump into the middle of it and feel it and understand it and understand ultimately why I believe your spirit chose to have to for you to have that experience, but also that we have help from these other entities or beings. And I don't know if she was a blue avian. I don't know. I know that it looked like a bird and it was there for my best interest. And it's the most loving experience. One of the most loving experiences I've ever had. And it changed my life. My life completely changed after that. You mentioned when you went back to the dark room at one point, um, the, those beings there were trying to basically siphon your energy or parasite yeah. off of you for their enhancement. Can you explain that? And were these, were these entities 
just residing in that dark room or were they something that had been attached to you all along? That's a really good question. I just think that they're there, you know, they're just there and and they'll take opportunities from all of us to grow, but they need, they need us to exist. It's like they need Think of it like an implant, like it implants an aspect of itself in our body or psyche or spirit. And so long as we choose to house certain negative emotions, then they're receiving that energy from us. So a parasite, an an implant. My sense from that experience is that each of us have work to do with them. Like all, all... well, I don't even think that Earth is inhabited by the same all the same species as me, but that people who are my species have work to do with them. I got that sense. Like this is something we're all here working on. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I believe that like the whole parasitic thought forms and the co- parasitic consciousness. I mean, that's kind of how they they run the show here is through the, and it all siphons off of us and feeds off of us and they can't exist without us. And even on a mass scale, zooming all the way out. But jumping back to the fun part of that journey, you, you saw the blue or the pink dolphins actually. Yeah. And pink dolphins are a real dolphin that, yes. do, that do swim in the rivers in South America Yes. But what was your experience when you saw them? So I could see, I could see what we're supposed to see. Meaning if our brain is, let's just say it's using 10%, 10 to 15%, but we know there's 85% of brain left and we have like a perceivable scale of colors or wavelengths when we use that 15% of our brain. It's like my whole brain was activated and I could see more wavelengths. So the dolphins would go underwater, but I could still see their energy masses moving. And and we so we were sitting out on a deck looking over the Amazon River and the dolphins would go away and I could say over there, you know, I'm trying to keep my hand in the camera. Over there, watch over there too are going to come up and they would. So I could actually perceive their energy bodies beyond the murky water. And I could also see that for the people around me. You know, something interesting happened in Peru that I'll tell you where is another way of saying most of us are full of shit, which by the way, I'm not saying that judging because I have my own stuff that I'm working on and avoiding even still. Um, I'm saying in in, in a sense of like camaraderie, you know, even I sometimes am full of shit, but so when the Wachuma started to kick in, people left the more ceremonial space and went and started drinking and dancing because Wachuma is so confronting. It is extreme. Like you, Wachuma grabs a hold of you and you're done when it's done. And I noticed that one by one, people were leaving the group and going and trying to avoid it by putting on loud music and and drinking, which you're not supposed to drink with these sacred plant medicine. Um, 
And I could see what was going on with people. I could see their energy bodies and where their life force was blocked. Or like I shared the experience of I could see male energy inside of my female friend. And it was just like everything that I think we're capable of seeing, I got to see for a little bit because my brain was, both sides were synced up and more alive and aware. Mm -hmm. I keep forgetting your questions. No, Sorry. it's great. I Did I answer it? it? <laughs> you were talking about you were able to the energy the dolphins uh, were leaving. Yes, dolphins, yeah, dolphins. Yeah, yeah. But the same was going on with the people around me. You know that stayed. I, I just I remember being like, "Don't leave." You know, this is magic. This is magic happening right now. Don't leave. And watching one by one as people just couldn't handle what was happening. Right. Yeah. So you were able to see. Were you able to see like an energy signature following the people like you were the dolphins? Around them. Around them? Around yeah. them, yeah. I guess yeah, and they're, they're not swimming around. So <laughs> different colors and different like flowing patterns. And some of our like I would describe it as the endocrine system was glowing differently in different people. I could see glands and colors in the glands. So you were able to identify where the dolphins were going to emerge or surface. Yeah, because I could see them underwater. But but you, how would you know where their projected surfacing point would be? Like, how did you? I know? could see them going and coming up. You could oh, see, I see their shapes I see, You could there. like see through the water, I guess. Like right, uh, their energy signature. Let's call it their energy body was not blocked by the cloudy river. Ah, uh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. And it sense. was pink. It was pink, like the dolphins, which is interesting as well. Right. Wow. Okay. So writing this book with Tony, well, first of all, Aaron, did you have any questions or did you have anything you want to add to that? No, no, not right now. Okay, great. Um, So writing this book with Tony, I know it's been an interesting, like the first one took a toll on you. You explained it in the book. It, it took a, a lot out of you and you were going through a, a move and you found out you were pregnant and all that. Um, yeah. So you when you wrote this second book obviously you only got to share a little bit but what was that experience like because you're and tony you know you have a special relationship um you break that down in the book as well but i guess just give our audience an idea of what it was like working with him and why you guys decided to co-write this together i so i had a lot of hesitation on co-writing um so the way that tony works is you'll get focus for an hour and then you'll get it again in 17 days for an hour. So this book came about because that's not true. Series Colony came about because of this book. I agreed to help with Series Colony Cavalier because I wanted to write this book. This is what I cared about the most was the soul's journey through all of this. Not that his story isn't important. Obviously it is. And I wanted to contribute to that being made physical, hopefully lasting beyond all of us. Um, but I had the most heart attachment to this book. So Tony flew into Dallas and sat at this very table I'm sitting at. And I put a recorder down and we talked for six or seven days for five or six hours a day. And I recorded it. And then, um, I took those recordings and started putting them into the book. And as I went, I realized like, wait, 
you know, like the first question that came to mind for me was he talks about getting, he talks about seeing his death. Mm -hmm. And so I asked him if you're in a scenario like that, are you going to, you're going to do it now that you've seen it? And he said, yes. And like, I spent so many days thinking about that, that I realized probably other people are going to wonder some of these questions. So after writing Tony's part, then it started with, can I put the Q&A in? Because I think other people are going to be interested. And then as we got into the Q&A, I realized that there were deeper things that other people experience or I experienced that felt like they were missing. So then I started writing some commentary to elaborate. And then in the end, it ended up a book where I have five chapters and there's Q&A and then there's also Tony's experience experience and it wasn't necessarily planned that way and I kept telling Tony like your mega fans don't want to hear from me but at least they'll know it's my chapter and they can skip it if they want to Hmm. (laughs) Uh, so that's how it that's how it came together Um, there's stuff in there that is still playing out in Tony's life and that was but it, um, some of the things he told me are so sad and we can't talk about it. He knows who some of the people are. And um, I think it was probably more, more brave than people realized for him to share that. And so that was, that was a, a very like deep bonding experience on a soul level with Tony too. I didn't, I don't know where this is coming from. It's okay. Except to say he really poured his heart out in that book. And um, I thought it was so beautiful for him to share. And it was, it was actually just a total honor to be a part of it. Wow. That's beautiful. And thank you for yeah. sharing that and let yeah. it out. Let it out. It's okay. Hey, it's a safe place to do it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't usually do this. Um, so you, yeah. Uh, so he sat down. So this was more of like a interview that turned into a book. Yeah, it's hard. That That's how we wrote the first book, too, is he would talk into a recorder. And Angelara did the first part of getting from the recorder to paper. And then I would call Tony and say, you need to explain this to me more. And I would record it. And then I would go flesh out the chapters based on what he was saying. So we kind of had a process of writing from series Colony Cavalier enough that I knew I got to get him down. I got to get him focused. Um, And it's funny listening to the recordings when I write it, because there's a lot of like shit talking between the two of us. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's the third book that that I'll take. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I think, um, I think I've been very moved by that book right after having a baby, you know, because it's like the soul's journey and becoming a parent is, is creating a body for a soul to enter and these ties that we have with souls through many, many lives, um, probably like it's a little deeper now that I'm have the experience of being a a mom. Right. And one of the comments you made is that, understanding your experiences and Tony's experiences and many others, like having a child can be scary knowing that it's possible that they could be a part of these programs as well. So how do you navigate that now? Now that the child's born. You know, a couple of things I had Moss 
naturally, um, without, you know, drugs, which I've learned that only roughly one in 10 women in the U.S. do now. And there was a moment right before he was born where I was in so much pain that I, um, I, I basically consented to die, which I know now sounds super dramatic because it's mm. just labor and every mom's gone through it. But I, I said, I can't do this for one more second. So please just kill me because I can't tolerate this. And I left this realm and I actually saw, I saw a few things. I'll tell you them all, but I saw his soul um, making its way through a tunnel and I left into that tunnel and I, and I got to meet him and he was an, a very old Asian man, like a sage. Mm. And he was very crafted in a martial art, like understood energy. And he was, so I, I believe that's what he was in his most recent life. Um, and he was, he was on a mission. He was coming to this body. He was ready. That, and, and I was just a part of the process for him. In that same time, I, I'm asking myself, I was alone in the bathtub, by the way. I, and I was like, where is my help? Where are my midwives? And so I also left and went to find them. And I saw them in the kitchen. I heard them talking about this new appliance. I heard one of them talking about her daughter and her bath. So I saw the other one five years from now with a daughter with braids. And um, so cut to my six-week visit after I've had Moss. and I. I'm there with those two midwives again. And I asked them, like, do you guys remember the night of his birth? Was something changed in the kitchen? And they were like, yeah, they changed the toaster and we missed the old toaster oven. And I was like, and do you have a daughter that likes to take baths? And she said, yes. In fact, I just bought her more stuff for the bath. The other one was going to meet the parents of her current boyfriend because they were planning to get married. And I got to tell her, I think you're going to have a child that has braids. It's coming faster than you think. So if all that's true, then I'm going to take the experience of meeting Moss's soul as true as well. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted if he likes martial arts. My point in saying that is I am just a perpetrator of his mission. I, I just gave him a body. And so... I can't protect him from things beyond my control. Mm -hmm. And every time I get scared because I do, because I feel things at night or sometimes I think like he's, he's been somewhere and he's back. Um, I just tell my, remind myself of meeting his soul in that tunnel and that he's got his own stuff to do here. And if I may add, there are so many kids songs that are like zoom, zoom, zoom we're going to the moon or wouldn't you like to go to the moon? And I always tell him, no, you don't go to the moon. If someone asks you to go to the moon or if you want to go out there, you say no. I I am a psychopath with that. <laughs> you know, but that's what the whole magic school bus cartoon. Promoted. I know. Yeah. Yes. And I tell him like, no, you say no. And you come back and you talk to mommy about it. You, it's not fun to go to the moon. And I, so I also try and like integrate deeper truths from, from our family lineage for him. So it's not just like, oh, cool. Yeah. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Let's go to the moon. 
Um, So it's a little bit of trying to be really controlling and a little bit of trying to let go of all control. Yeah. Well, it's, I think you nailed it. I think that's exactly all you can do because if you dwell on or just focus hyper focus on trying to protect him, like that's not helping anyone. You're living in a state of fear and you're going to create some sort of like insecurity around him now because he's going to wonder like what's out to get him all the time. So yeah, you, I think you're, that's a healthy way to approach it. And, uh, Whoever hasn't seen the original episode of the Magic School Bus, the episode one, the very first season, I recommend watching it. Even as an adult, there's disclosure of the SSP, like the taking the taking the children. They go to school, and then they go from school. They're taken to space, mm-hmm. and then they come. They come back, and they, they, it discloses all of it in episode one. I would just recommend go watch. And it. is that? Did that come out in the 80s or was it 90s? I think that had to be 90s, yeah. 90s, okay. Because there's a lot of 80s cartoons like G.I. Joe and other things. That have- yeah, oh, totally, totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there anything that you would like to share that you didn't share in the book or something you've been wanting to get off your chest? Is This is the time to do it now. Um, yeah. You know, obviously you're ready to come and do these interviews, so there's a reason behind that. Like, is do you have something that you would like to say or is this or did we cover it time's up uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh no it just felt like time you know I, um i feel like i was in a phase of learning something new which was how to be a mom and how to have a family and that i really had to like tune down other stuff so that i could turn that up for a little bit and then you know you kind of not that i have the hang of it but you get closer to having the hang of it and it's like okay i can this is on it's going i can turn back up my other stuff a little bit um no i want to talk about y'all's work because i got to watch the cahokia mountains a uh, mounds um documentary you made and and i i loved it and I, I think you guys are doing awesome work and I always want to contribute or help out. And, um, I, thank you. My, um, yeah. Um, you know, I think I shared in our first interview ever that when I was a kid, I used to, um, look out the window and there was a blinking tower we called it blinky outside my grandparents window and i used to make them check the night sky because i was worried that someone was coming and they would say no it's just blinky saying i love you there's no there's nothing in the sky but what i never told you because i didn't know you're into this is blinky was actually put on top of a mound so there was a known ancient burial site on my grandparents land that we used to go out and collect artifacts from and we have this is by the way in missouri near the so there's one main strip of mounds and then there's little speckledy ones more on the west western border they were right on that little specks of the mounds and um we have boxes and boxes of arrowheads and you know more spear-like things from there but Wow. Going going back to what we were saying about like the national parks and and people coming in the military or you know private corporations is in the 80s they put that tower up on t- on the very top of the mound um which I think is 
I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate too much, but I will say that you couldn't hike this mound. Um, and my aunt tried to take her horse up once and she was basically hanging onto the horse's neck as it was going like straight up. And she said her feet were dangling back by the tail, but she made it to the burial sites. So the burial sites are so steep up that you have to question like, how did they get there or, or why were they there? Um, and, and I love that you guys are talking about these things. So I want to actually just talk about that. <laughs> no, that's yeah. great. And, you know, we were talking about this off camera about because we're going to Aztec, New Mexico and this weekend. And you were talking about how you think that area is still alive. And that's kind of how the whole conversation started. And we, I, I also mentioned how I think that's why they choose to put military bases and domes in these locations because they understand energy. They have people working for them to tap into this stuff and mm -hmm. they put their facilities in these locations to harness and utilize the energies. It's pretty apparent, especially in national parks and their portal systems and stuff like that. But then the mound sites also, like they were building these mounds in the same, for the same reasons that we install a military facility, but they were using mm -hmm. it for benevolent purposes as far as we know. Um, so that's really interesting. The mound connection again, like it has, yeah. it has everything to do with the, the ley line network. Right. The energies. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I think I, I suspect those areas are actually very active, but it's easy to say, Oh, that was military craft or, Oh, that was just the, um, you know, the, the radio tower that they put up that was blinking. It was, you know, and I, 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 I still do a little bit of research when I can about what, you know, what's going on and, and people in, you know, almost every member of my family has seen a UFO in Missouri. And I, I just think that, um, it's all really intentional. Um, and, and it made me wonder about the activity around that mount, you know, it was, growing up why I was so afraid of it and why I always wanted to watch the night sky and what's going on there and what happens when we tear them down. Yeah. And is it good or bad? Right. Well, if you have, if there's fear surrounding it, well, it, that doesn't mean it's good because we fear the unknown a lot. Like you can have oh, yeah. a benevolent ET show up and you might be scared. Because you you've never seen an ET one, you've or Hollywood seen... Hollywood told you it's always evil. programming, right? Yeah. right? Right, they told you it's always evil, and too, you've never had anyone just show up and phase into your room. Like, there's a number of reasons. Right. Like when I had the inner Earth being show up, I, it startled me, and I was frozen in fear, but I wasn't scared of her. If a normal was, human did that, you'd be afraid. Right. I was, yeah, like, what are I you was, doing here? I was scared because I turned around in the middle of the night and somebody was standing there. <laughs> like, that's going to startle anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. Um, right. And if it's somebody you know, you'd be like, oh, it's just you. But then if it's somebody you don't know, then you're still going to be like, okay, what's going on? Even though they might have good intentions. Um. Yeah, so it's it's all interesting. But I guess we'll go ahead and start wrapping this up unless there's any last words you'd like to leave us with. Uh, but we also would love for you to share with the audience how they can follow you and where they can get the book. Oh, yeah, the book's on Amazon. 
Uh, I just got back on Instagram. I can tell you guys, I don't love it. It's such a low energy. It's such a low vibe. I don't know if I'm going to stay there. Um, I don't know if it's for me. I was off for a long time. So um, my website is JacquelineKenner.com. And um, I do want to say I, I'm not the best person to come to if you're trying to figure out your story. You know, like Tony and I have put a lot of effort into making very concise courses, the Purple Series and the Recall course for people doing that. And I think that there are other people who are better at helping with that. I focus predominantly on medium work now, straight up medium, who's on the other side that's trying to get through. That could be your guides as well. But if you're asking me, like, was I Lemurian? Was I, I don't, I don't know. Don't come to me for that. I don't want to push away like, you know, people, but I'm really here because I like you guys. I think the book is wonderful and I like having a place to talk about the truth for whoever it resonates with. Um, and then if you want a medium session, you know, hit me up. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, yeah. And by the way, like this is might be the first time I've actually talked to you where you, someone hasn't come through to give me a message. Interesting. Uh, usually, you know, for a while there, whenever we first started talking, when I reached out to you, that's what happened. It, it was supposed yeah. to be me asking you to come on the show. It turned into a session. And then uh, after, later after the conference or during the conference, someone else came through. And this is the first time we've talked where someone hasn't been knocking at the door. But for anyone- Well, since you brought it up, okay. there is someone trying to get through to your sister. Okay, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. So you can tell her that. I will. I will. Okay. Absolutely. Today is her birthday too. Your sister's? Yeah. Interesting. Happy birthday. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I just I just say that because uh, what I've experienced with you, Jackie, is the real deal. Um, so oh, anyone who is interested in booking a session, I encourage you to do so. It's Jacqueline JackieKenner.com. Yeah, or Jacqueline Kenner. Isn't that funny? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Jacqueline Kenner. Well, didn't it used to be connections with Jackie? Yes. And that I changed? did change. So yeah. I didn't quite change the spelling of my name, but when I got married and I changed my last name, I was like, I've been called JC for 30 years. I was like, you know what? This is a luxury I can afford. I'm just going to spell it the way it sounds. And I updated it to be spelled like Jackie. And honestly, I love it because people call me my real name now. Like, you know, if somebody's not like JC yeah. or hi JC, and then they'll call me that for three years because that's how they first said it in their brain. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I noticed you changed the spelling of your first I name. I did. Yeah. yeah. That's it's been awesome. It's been like, I feel like people, I feel more myself because people call me my name now. Yeah, um, that's great. So, but that's why I changed great. it. When I went to change the last name, I was like, well, it, anyways, my name is Jacqueline. So they were both nicknames, but yeah. It, it was confusing. And I remember texting Tony one time when I was making a thumbnail. I'm like, okay, what's her name? Like, cause it was, <laughs> it was spelled J-A-C-I like Pierce. And then it was J-C Kenner, Jackie Kenner. Yeah. And then... And then it changed. Then I saw it spelled Jackie. And I'm like, and then, then I was like, well, is it yeah. Jackie? Is it Pierce or Kenner? Is it JC or Jackie? I'm like, Tony, yeah. what's, like, her, what's name? her name? Like, <laughs> It's uh, funny, too, because I can be an asshole like when people change their name. Right. When they have like a big, you know, like metamorphosis. 
I'm right. like, no, your name's important. That was the vibration given to you, you know, when you were born. And then here I am doing it. So right. <laughs> well, that that is a whole conversation I have. I think some people like to uh they want to get rid of their last name because it's attached to like their family lineage, which yeah. was very yeah. abusive and stuff. But I'm like, yeah. actually, why change it when you have the ability now to go back and heal that? You can heal right. You that. can set right. it forward into something else. Right, right, right. You don't have to run from it. Like heal that lineage, heal, heal that, that ancestral timeline. You know, uh, so right. I understand why. Like you just want to break free from that because it's not who you are. But maybe it is who you are, and you can like it really like. Ground does the name have power it. over you, or do you right. have power over the name? You know, that's, and that's, I'm not trying right. to say like like I understand why you changed your name. Uh, I you can make fun of me. I don't care. I changed no, my name. Definitely not. But, I get called Jackie now and it's amazing. And I feel like after 30 years of torture of being like, it's act. Or this was my favorite. How do you spell your name? And I go J-A-C-I. And people would literally go, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's how my grandma chose to spell Jackie. So it's been amazing and I love it. And I, I, you know, whatever you want to change your name, do it. I'll call you whatever you want. Sure. No. Don't call you late for supper, as my granddad would say. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, this was really great. Guys, go check out her website. Book a session with her. Read Project Star Maker if you haven't yet. It's fantastic. Yes. And uh, we will see you guys in New Mexico, Aztec New Mexico Sunfire Festival. Come out if you're close. It's not too late. Buy a ticket. Drive out. Hang out with us for the weekend. We're gonna have a lot of fun. Uh, so we hope to see you there, sunfirefest.com. That link is below in the description. Good night. We love you and have a great evening. A lot of this information has been kept uh, uh, sort of locked up or kept undercover because of the invasion of the Smithsonian group way back in the 1880s. What actually happens is it's not taken to preserve it, it's taken to hide it. And um, about four and a half miles from here, a cave was discovered. It's not really a cave as such, it's a man-made cavern system. But how the hell do you get that much granite? Because the granite on the base of that damn near weighs what the dirt on the top of it weighs. Nobody knows what's underneath it. I've heard a theory that there's a spaceship underneath it. There was copper and steel plated artifacts that depicted men in armor with shields and helmets. Including right here at Cahokia, there were reported two giants with double rows of teeth and six fingers and six toes. Extra vertebrae or extra ribs in their cage. These are different races of people. They're not just regular humans. Definitely is a stone burial chamber and there's a large body in it, uh, bones. I would say 15 to 16 feet. I saw different types of extraterrestrials here with the Native Americans. The peoples of the Cahokia Mounds actually saw the Birdman as some kind of cosmic being and not a humanoid being. So this Birdman was the last in the pure and the true of his kind. So yes, there are there were rituals or there were dances and celebrations and people would dress up like the galactic beings that were visiting. Um, but there were actual physical galactic beings that were visiting. <laughs>